This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains major spoilers from the books Kingdom of Ash, The Shadow and Bone Trilogy, and The Priory of the Orange Tree. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing Gods and Monsters, the conclusion to our audiobook and physical copy reading experiment. And slight disclaimer, I'm moving, all my furniture is gone, and Editor Sam is very concerned about an echo, so if there's an echo... <laughs> We apologize. As a reminder, who have been joining us on our little experiment, Laura had read Serpent and Dove and Blood and Honey via audiobook, and I hadn't read them. So I we decided to just say, like, will the reading experience differ in our opinions and takeaways from the books and the characters? So I had read the first two books. And then for the third one, because it didn't come out till the 27th, like the last week of July, we flipped. So I switched over and wasted an audible credit and (laughs) did Gods and Monsters. And Laura read the traditional book copy and did not have to sit through the male narrator that is Reed. So I, I'm just, I'm so stoked about this for a lot of reasons, but just tell me about your experience with this book and the narrator. Why was there gasping and pauses? You know, it, it took me a while to, to figure out, well, maybe if I adjust the speed, it'll be fine. So I may try to make it faster and that didn't work. And I go, maybe, maybe if I make it just at speed or slower, I No, that was even worse. And then you can only go so fast to just kind of get through it because the gap, this, this, you know, he might have a lot of wonderful skills, this narrator. Reading deep read isn't one of them. <laughs> he could be, and I went on to Audible and I'm not, this shows you how much I really don't, I'm not going to look up the, the person's name. He, he's, he's a working narrator. So I wonder if this is just something that he was bringing to, you know, bringing Reed's character to life, quote unquote. I don't know if that's how he reads with all his other books. Not going to try that experiment either. But Oh, man. And then to find out that most of the book is just basically Reed's POV. I mean, I feel like I took one for the team because you would have ripped your ears out if you had to do this one with him. It's really something. So in case you have not used um, the Audible experience to consume this book, I will give you an example of what it's like. And it will be an example from the classic William Shatner Twilight Zone episode. Ready? 
There's something on the wing. Some thing <laughs> on the wing. That is exactly how the narrator <laughs> has chosen to portray Reed in this series. And it is infuriating. <laughs> well, you know, I guess it kind of it kind of matches because Reed is infuriating. He is infuriating. Oh, my goodness, is he infuriating. But before we kind of dig into um, our opinions on things, Reed, let's talk about some things that we actually like. Uh, Jess, we haven't really discussed this a lot this week. There's just been a lot going on. So what are some things that you enjoyed about this book? I enjoyed, okay, I know I was shitting on Saley earlier in this book because she was bothering me. She was giving me some, like, I guess, projecting, like, at the beginning of this book, she was very much, uh, she just felt like she was still going to come on to read still. I thought it was going to be this whole messy drama because of contemporary romance reads that I've read and I go, she's going to try to take him and she, and Reed is just going to fall back for Saylee, Seely. I just didn't want that. I thought she was just going to be troublesome. And it, of course, the second I say that the next paragraph, she's, you know, befriending Lou and she's, it just felt, I, and I guess I have to understand how understanding where she came from. She was, in the tomb with her sister, witches have attacked her. She's going to have some reservations with these new friendships. And of course, she's grown and built around that and did establish a friendship with Lou and Coco. And I did wind up liking her in the end, of course, because that's just... It's not because you know what it is. I think it's just like a defense mechanism because I want to protect the characters that I that I do appreciate because I love Coco and even that was one thing that Celie said. She was asking Lou why and Coco why they hide their scars and she was like, "Scars are a sign or a symbol, like to show of what you've survived." And I think it was like that moment that kind of shifted the way Lou and Coco uh, perceived the their their. They're battle scars in a way. I also really enjoyed uh, Celie. She, I, I, as you said, I understood where she was coming from. I liked her like whole kind of character development where she like wanted revenge and she wanted to get back at her because so much was taken. And, you know, she, she like ran away, but she's also like really deep in it with Jean-Luc. And I, I liked that. I really enjoyed that. And I liked when she, got angry and she was like, I can do it myself. Like, I don't need you. And, you know, you're following me. That implies like a lack of trust in me. I, I loved all the times that she stood up for herself. And I like that she kind of found her place with these people. I feel like that was kind of very natural. Um, because because uh, we were discussing earlier, the found family trope is very heavy here. And that's something that I feel like um, you know, it is a takeaway, but we don't really agree. We'll get to that later. But, you know, you going through the Saley thing, I talking through it, I feel like she's had arguably hot take the best character arc from where she started, including from book one, where she was 
sneaking off in the garden with Reed and being all touchy-feely at the ball to where we are at the end of this book. And I, what I really liked at the part where it was Lou and Morgan and Lou thought that Saley was just knocked out and she was for a point, but she had the syringe and she was able to like incapacitate Morgan for a moment, but she was giving Lou the option to, to, to finish her mom and unalive her, but she wasn't sure if Lou was going to be able to do it because we know we've read enough books. We've seen enough movies to know once you're faced with that parental figure and actually confronting them that there's always that hesitation. And I really like that Saley stepped up to say, look, I, I did this part, but if you need me to continue, you know, I'm giving you that option, giving you that choice. And I really liked that. I feel like that's that mo that that was like a really nice friendship moment to be like i can do it if you need me to but i want to i want you to tell me you, you give me the go i really i really appreciated that from her yeah yeah i agree with everything that you're saying completely um what do we not like about this book well there was other things we liked weren't there well <laughs> I mean, like i just it's so, okay, this is this is why I'm kind of framing it this way, because everything that I do like had nothing to do with Reed. Correct. I agree. Because, like, yes. the best parts of this book were when he was unconscious. Like, <laughs> okay, the one part that I liked, I texted you today, and I said, because I, I finished up the, the book this morning, and I said, I, it was the first time that I laughed in the book, and it was when Reed was incapacitated, and everybody was mocking him, and be like, I'm a weapon, because these are, they were like mocking him with words that he said, I'm a weapon, huh? The world shall tremble and fear me, enemies shall rule the day they have ever challenged me, as he's gasping for air, and I love that they were mocking him. He could not even get up. And I, I just, that's telling of the person that I am. <laughs> I feel like Reed just like sucks the life out of every scene and like everything. Oh, I no, see. Keep going. No, no, no. You know, it reminded, oh, there's a part at the very end in the epilogue where it's their wedding. Lou is drunk. She's like, I want sticky buns. I'm drinking. I'm dancing. And he says something to her. He goes, can you stop it? You're embarrassing me. And I don't know how you read it in the book, but it reminded me of Liam and Miley on the red carpet at Endgame. And she was all like posing, like feeling herself, loving the excitement because her brother-in-law is like, it's a movie premiere for her brother-in-law. And Liam goes, can you stop it? You're embarrassing me. Why do you always have to act like that? And I, and I, it made me so mad because it was, I mean, I don't want to just say it's like triggering because it wasn't really triggering to me, but I hate being told you're, you're embarrassing somebody when you're having fun. Then that's clearly, I mean, obviously in hindsight too, that's not the person you should be with if they're embarrassed about your happiness on your wedding day, no less. And so as I read it in the book, and you know, I'll, I'll go into how it was for me in the book, but uh, I took it the same way. I was like, really? You're now? 
what in front of everybody like it's your wedding day she can do whatever she wants she's the bride i remember your wedding video where they wound up you were having so much everybody was having so much fun and it was you and sam but the videographer just wound up having to cut the mics or cut the sound for the video because you two are having so much fun but they were like maybe this isn't the stuff we need to memorialize (laughs) Yeah, just, uh, but uh, you know, that, that is very in character for Reed, you know, so right. I mean, which yeah. just contributes to why another reason why we don't like him. Yeah. Uh, so if we, if we circle back to things that we do like, I do like when Reed is unconscious and, he, and everybody else goes to the mermaids and, and the, and the queen or, right? She's a queen, isn't she? Like, I, I consider her a queen. I consider it her remi- a queen. Did it remind you of, the undersea yes 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 do okay (laughs) yeah all of it all of it was like the undersea except like opposite because they drained the city and everybody had legs and stuff and you could like eat and in the undersea it's like the opposite but yeah it was totally the undersea and i loved it i loved the descriptions of everybody you know lou being like i want a wig i you know i want this you know you drain the city so that you could wear your jewels like yes i i love that i feel like that was one of the best parts of the book. And when we refer to the undersea, we're referring to the Folk of the Air series of The Cruel Prince, The Wicked King, and Queen of Nothing. Yes. I feel like that whole time that they are with the mermaids, from the reveal that Angelica is Coco's mom to the time when they like leave uh, the mermaids. I, that's like my favorite like section of the book because you have pure and total honesty. You have people calling each other on their bullshit. You have female bonding, female friendship. Uh, you have like, like, co- like being comfortable uh, with each other. And then you have like court politics and intrigue. And then you have fantastic descriptions of clothes and costumes. Like, I love that. That was my favorite part by far. Though that it's stories or parts of the stories that we read like this that make me very much in tune to. I would totally do well as a mermaid, as a siren. Like that is my my jam. You know, I love I love it because, like you said, there's so much. I don't want to say manipulation, but there is conversation around the bigger picture. You know, there might be a little you know, ulterior motives. But if we're being honest, where isn't there an ulterior motive when it comes to politics and magic? And especially in this scene, and um, Jess, you and I talked about it before we recorded, but this scene where Ilya, uh, they're all at the table and they can't, and nobody can lie because they've all ingested the waters of, you know, melancholy melancholy lake. Yeah. Yeah, I just call it melancholy. I'm going to super translate that. And so, no, so they can't lie. And Ilya is looking at Bo, and you know, again, Bo kind of like comes back into like good character, kind of Bo. He's. I he's feel like, like we get book one, Bo. Yeah. Back in this book, and, and Ilya's asking Bo, like, why do you follow Lou? Is she the <laughs> smartest? Is she the prettiest? Is she the bravest? Is she the best? Like, is she good? Like, like why? Why are, are all of you like so ready? to follow and, like, risk everything for her. And Bo's like, he can't answer because, like, none of that is true. And I feel like um, 
and we we mentioned it earlier, but like the the found family thing that's going on here is kind of forced because their their found family and the fact that they're all so incredibly like trauma bonded and they have nowhere else to go. So like that is the found family, and like I don't feel like it works. Yes, to everything you said, I do think. Regarding the found family trope, it almost feels like I love a found family trope. I will tell you that I love it. I live for it, especially with my own familial dynamics. But I think there's something to be said. And we said this a few times in like previous episodes regarding this series. They're not really a family. They're not really friends. They're just kind of defaulted people who are on this it's just like when you have like depending on where you work you have some people who have a joined or like like a shared goal but that doesn't mean your family either you know or you even have friendships like you know we all have friends and your friendship dynamics are different with each person that doesn't just because you're friends with someone also doesn't mean that you'll have a familial relationship with them either um it it was just it really did feel forced. I don't I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And also, I and I feel like um, there was a kind of an awareness of that because every time Bo talks to Lou, he's like sister mine, sister mine, sister mine, just you know over and over again, like hammering home the point that like we're found family. Like this is you know you're my brother's wife. Like you're my sister in law. Like we're we're bonded this way. It's it's just like, and we, we talked about this in other episodes. All of the elements are there on yeah. paper, but yeah. it doesn't click for me. Yes. And I don't want to say it's something for the author because every author is different. Because like you said, it's on paper, all everything. If you wrote it down, bulleted it out, it's what I want. I don't know if my disdain for read overshadows the rest of the, I, I I was thinking about that. I go, I really don't know if I just do not care for him so much that it's overlooking the good parts or the writing style. Um, and I like what you said with like, if you're, you're driving at home, sister mine, sister mine, sister mine, a lot of the found family tropes that we love, it's, it's earned and you're you're with the journey and it's never said it's never solidified you you're just there and the the writer makes you feel it without saying it i mean even with the dregs you know that they're a family but they have a shared goal like the second they need to like go off and do their own shit they're gonna go off and do their own shit but then they'll come back and you you know at some point they would come back together because somebody needed something you know what is that called? That's like um like show don't tell. Like don't tell me you're a found family by, you know, saying the words. Like show it to me. Show it to me through like your words, thoughts, and actions. Like and, and I feel like this is a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Um what else did I really like about this book? Um did I like Lou being possessed for the first half? No. Did I like Reed being unconscious for the middle. Yes. <laughs> did I like did I like Reed losing his fucking memories and reverting back to just insufferable book one Reed? Like 
No. However, however, I will say him reverting back to book one read, it reminded me of what we discussed in our Serpent and Dove episode where he was all pious about why doesn't she just tell me the truth and I would have still loved her, blah, blah, blah. Well, here we are, book three, she did tell you the truth up front and you were acting exactly the way she thought and everybody else thought you were going to. And here we are, case in point. So I, I just, I for me, I was very satisfied on her behalf to be like, told you so. This is exactly why you didn't, we didn't tell you the truth the first time. It was just, you know, you know, us are huge. <laughs> hmm. How about that? And also Lou being like, were you this stubborn? Were you this infuriating? <laughs> like, how did I fall in love with you? And then she's like, how did you fall in love with me? Like, I like that realization, though. Yeah. Because I, I remember I texted you that when he says, she goes, has he? Oh, yes. Yes, child. Yes. He has. He has. And even, you know what? Even when she's working on trying to get him to recover from his memories and fall back in love with her. She's even going through her. What did what did I do? What did I do? I really just treated him like shit. <laughs> yeah, but I love a book. I love book one banter, and and Shelby brought it back for this one. So yeah, so thank God for that. But that's the only part of Lou that she brought back. I just we talked about this at the beginning of this uh, before we started recording. I loved banter book one, Lou. But where where was? The fire that we liked about book one, Lou, where she was just all about herself and her drive and not in a selfish way. She just saw the bigger picture. And I just felt like this fell flat, like where it, you know how you talk about like sometimes there's just like a lot of side this. I just felt like I was walking through the woods most of the book and then there was a battle. They're like, oh, shit, here we go. No, no. What's up, Devereaux? Like, it was a war. Okay. Hot a war take. of one battle. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> a war of one battle with a character who was born to die. Hot take, bootleg Aelin. <laughs> Gonna get a lot of shit for that. And I don't want to say that because I really, again... Our Serpent and Dove episode. I liked her spice. I liked her sass. I loved her love for food. I told you, I go, why? why? This is very relatable. But the rest of it's just not there for me. There's a lot of cussing in this book. We brought that up in Blood and Honey. There's a lot of cussing. There's a lot of F-bombs on there. There is spice in this book. (laughs) But like weird spice? And something that I did appreciate, though, is that um, the the spice up until like prison cell spice. But, <laughs> I was like spice, but like all like the 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 uh, the dual masturbating spice that was like so weird. When did I? Oh, before the yes, I do remember. Okay, you See, know, clearly it was it didn't stick with me. Kind of weird. But I did appreciate that, like, even though, like, they were physically, like, like, intimate, I guess, it didn't, like, trigger his memories, right? Like, 
It, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like I'm gonna fuck him and then that'll that'll trigger his memories and everything will be better. But she hoped she was she hoped that she hoped she that, but, hope it, that. It, but it didn't work. And I did appreciate that because I feel like that would have been a major cop out uh, at that point. Is it the way the scene was written? Because isn't there a scene somewhere like that with an Akasif? And you might have not liked it in Akasif too. I just feel like I remember when Cassian's asking Nesta to like touch herself in front of him. There's a scene that is almost directly like it, almost, in um, The Plated Prisoner, which is what I was thinking of. Um, okay. No, I just, like, I just dislike Reed so much that I did yeah. not like him telling her what to do and, like, where to touch. I didn't like that. Yeah. It's like, it's like no, she, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Stop telling her what to do. You love that. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's and this is and this is like old Shasur Reed. So he's even more preachy about it in a way. Like And he doesn't remember He doesn't remember having sex yeah. with her. So like mentally he's still a virgin, right? Like Yeah, yeah. It's and so it's all his pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm pissed again. I pissed again and I sent you the picture last night of like my disgust, basically, because I, I think I was at like the maybe I was at that scene or the prison scene or something. And I just thought I I don't you know how we say like we love men written by women. This isn't I just don't feel that with Reed. I don't I, I don't want to apologize because there's nothing to apologize for. Reed is not written for me, nor are any of his spice scenes, because even in there and we talked about this in the second book where they were just like hooking up in the tunnels and when they joined together then this book is again another end of the world we're going to fuck and he's just it, it, he's just like taking her from behind and i go that's that's you're good you know i don't know like maybe some stand-up missionary would have made more sense in a prison cell if it's the end of the world and this is the love of your life i don't know it, yeah, it just, none of it, none of it clicked. None of it clicked. Uh, I, as you said, they're just walking around for like 75% of this book. <laughs> they're walking to, they're walking to the, the church with the, the pastor guy that ends up like saving them kind of at the Al, end. Al, Al, uh, Akir? You're the one that did the audio. You, you know how to I don't even it. remember. I just remember the, that his mom was hitting on him. <laughs> Akila? Akila? Akila. 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 Uh, I don't know. Clearly, it made an impact on me. I just remember that Reed's mom was hitting on him. And he goes, you can't do that. And he goes, she's looking at him like, what the fuck? I can do whatever I want. You are my child. So, like, they're they're walking to Akila's church. They're walking to the lighthouse. Because Reed wants to save the monsters all of a sudden. They're walking to find the <gasps> pearls to get to the lake. They're at the lake. They're walking to the chateau to steal the ring. They're walking back to the lake. They're on a boat. They're walking to Cesarine. It's just like, oh, my God. Okay. Okay. We walk in. We walk in today. All right. Just. What I did like is I did like how... The, the trees kind of played into it. I liked how the trees were like warriors and, you know, wood woes. And although I, I don't know, the, the battle scene to me was like kind of messy. And I found myself 
because I read the physical copy, I found my eyes just like skipping over stuff. I found myself like scanning and then you said this in our Aquawar episode, which was another reason why you love the, the audible audio version so much, especially with battle scenes, is you find yourself when there's battle scenes in a, a book that you do graze over that. Yeah. And that's why you really enjoyed listening to the audio version of Aquawar because you were forced to be in the wars and in the battles with them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, because... Because, and this is the example. I found myself at the, the big moment with Angelica and, um, what the fuck? Jo- Josephine. Josephine. Yeah. And, um, Nicolina, you know, and the three of them and they're having their like battle or whatever. And, you know, they're blood bonded. So like one dies, the other dies and like all three of them die. die. And I remember being like, Oh shit. I don't know what happened. And I had to like <laughs> go back and like read it again. And I had to do that. I had to do that too. When, um, when everybody is on the shores of the lake after the meeting, after Angelica says that, like, yes, we'll come fight with you, you know, um, the Oracle, um, Ilya has, has gifted you something and they all drink the water again. And they're like, they're like in the pensive, I like they're in the pensive or whatever of the, (laughs) uh, of the, uh, the courtroom scene. And I remember like a couple like pages into the courtroom scene, I was like, how did they get here? What is going <laughs> on? And then I had to like go back again and like read it. I was like, oh, it's just like a vision. Oh, the, she's an oracle. It's the future. Okay. 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 But I was just like, why am I struggling so hard? I, I did. I struggled. I struggled hard. It's a, it's probably the combination of, cause, cause it's not because you only read audiobooks. You read, you know, you have Kindle Unlimited too. So it's not just reading the physical copy i think it's just the story it feels kind of sloppy too i don't know if i'm kind of being brazen by saying that yeah i don't want to like come off as like bitchy or like not appreciative because i have no talent i couldn't write a book i know this but i i just i don't vibe with this i don't click with this and you know i love coco i love coco I like uh, I like everything that Coco does here. I like her her grief and her like trying to overcome her like guilt and grief about Ansel and you know moving on with Bo and like accepting that. You know, I I like I like all of that. Do I like the happy ending? No, I don't. I don't like the happy ending here, but but uh the difference between uh Jess and I is that I don't care one way or the other really about a happy ending. Um Jess, you love a happy ending. I love a happy ending. However, <laughs> I didn't like this happy ending. And I feel like there's there's more ways to have. There's more than one way to have a happy ending. Do I love a lifetime? Of course. A lifetime hallmark end of everybody's happy. Of course. But, but, it's a very, very well-learned about myself in fantasy. I do like intrigue and depth and so you can have not every happily ever after has to end in a marriage and laura you and i were saying i told i just said i don't know if it's because of the read of it all i would have i would have been so happy if lou didn't get married or if there was this amicable decision to say look we both have shit to do and laura you were saying that because we were talking about priory of the orange tree spoiler like heavy heavy spoiler because this is the end of the book 
um, that Ian at the end of the book says, like, we both have our shit to do. Let's focus on the bigger picture of our lives, like things that we need to get in order for our people. And then we can kind of revisit it. And I just that that discussion isn't had. And this isn't I guess, you know, clearly this isn't that type of book. But you have two which group you have the the Dom branches and the Dom the La Dom Rouges that they're trying to create this better world and unity and camaraderie amongst just which kind itself and now they have a whole chateau to do that in why is that not the focus I just uh and this comes from a lived experience as adults that not everybody's happy ending is going to look the same and it's I think we had shared a quote earlier this week where people say like, oh, you need to do. And it was it was it was basically about people who have children kind of say, well, when are you going to start a family in a way being condescending towards people who might just be with them and their partner or them and their pets or them and their friends? Like just because you don't have kids doesn't mean you're not a family. And I feel like just because the ending doesn't end in a wedding doesn't mean it's not a happy ending. And that's something I'm learning about myself through like what we're reading in our discussions. You brought up a really good point at the end of this book, the, the Jean-Luc, you know, the chasseurs and they say like, read, like you have a place here. Like you can, you can come back to the, to the uh, chasseurs and, and the, um, the girls, right. They're like, and Seely, you know, so I feel like that's a missed opportunity for Reed to like join them and like rebuild, you know, burn yeah. it all down and rebuild the holy order to like protect against like evil, but, but like not. Which Celie says, I love that she calls Jean-Luc out on that in this book also, where he goes, I, I'm a chasseur. I'm supposed to protect against the occult. And she goes, no, you're a chasseur. You're supposed to protect against evil. And I love like, I, I think people sleep on Sealy. That was my takeaway from this book. Yeah, no, they they really do. And so, yeah, so there's this this whole opportunity to to burn it all down and rebuild it from the ground up in, in like the way that you want. Because one of the themes that's like hammered over and over again is like you know a better world. Like our love is going to make the world better. It's like okay, yeah, but like how? Because you're not doing anything. You're just getting married. Like. <laughs> Bootleg through a glass. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's just like, there's no focus. I get it. It's a trope. I get it. Yeah, it's a trope. we get I'm the just, trope. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's just it's just like so it's it's right there in your face. It's like okay, how are you going to do all of this? Like you, nobody has discussed like what you're going to do, and I just I just feel like instead of harping on the wedding. And, you know, Ansel being there and like finding his peace, you know, that's very nice. And, you know, they set a spot for him instead of like page descriptions of how the flowers were painstakingly woven into the <laughs> chairs. We could have gotten like some freaking plans about yeah. the future. Like I, I didn't need I, we didn't need a whole epilogue about the wedding. If it was an epilogue about, um, like you said, how everything was being rebuilded, kind of like Major Kingdom of Ash, spoiler, how those last couple chapters, it was, here's the court scene, here's the coronation, 
hears them waking up in bed and like the flower and the king's flowers are blooming, right? That was the end and like how they were going to rebuild. You had everybody in like the different provinces and who was overseeing what kingdom and where everything kind of was at that point. I don't have that. I just have a wedding. You have, yeah, nothing. Yeah. I, I don't, like, I don't even know. All I know about this wedding is that Reed is embarrassed over his wife enjoying. She's, she's like, I'm celebrating to the, I'm married for realsies to my husband. Love of my life. And <laughs> I know, I know. And he's like, you're embarrassing me. Get get who who can annul this marriage real quick if they're so like pious with their priests because this shit's not going to cut it for me. Embarrassed? I just I I don't know why I'm sitting on that so much. Well, something else that kind of bothered me that I thought was very just like not necessary was like the page and page and page descriptions of like how Lou got a cat. <laughs> Would you have felt different if it was Fleetfoot? I don't think so because like I don't ca- I don't care like what is what is this what is this are, are are you like trying to endear me to read because like you know he insulted or singer and then the cat peed on his pillow like I, like <laughs> like what? I'd be pissed at him you know what I would have peed on his pillow too like he pissed me off I don't blame the cat <laughs> I just I just don't feel like anything like these types of things like add to the story when you're like closing out like a trilogy yeah right yeah right like this is the end of like a quote-unquote epic trilogy about like this was people consider this epic well i'm sure i'm sure people do like people love this yeah so like and we're and we're asking we've kindly been asking respectfully what it is what it is about this couple about this series that has you has Anybody who's listening to us, if you're listening to us, um, so enamored with with the book. Yeah, like, please respectfully tell us. We would love to really kind of hear your opinions. But like, if we go through the tropes, um, you know, of the whole series. So the ones that are really like pounded into is like um, uh, love conquers all. Love will change the world. Found families, uh, you know, like working through your grief. um, Mommy issues, daddy issues. Dead parent trope from the first book. Yeah, dead parent trope. Um, I, 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 what, what else? What, you yeah. said grief, but I just don't feel... I mean, I guess that goes with the daddy issues. With I, yeah, and- I feel like I feel like the grief, though, is more with Coco. Because her grief and like guilt over Ansel was like so powerful that it became like that destructive fire right like and that is the symbol of her grief like she's burning down the kingdom because of that so um yeah yeah i feel like her her grief and then she accepts Bo at the end and like her tears you know you know yeah all all of that something that i did appreciate something that i did appreciate is that shit happens in the end shit happens and it happens for real they're tied to the stake. You know, they don't think anyone's coming to get them. They do catch on fire like Lou. But then, you know, self-sacrifice, Lou, like, takes everybody's pain again. I was like, oh, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, what? And she uh, didn't lose her powers, though. But she's also, like, not using them. 
at the end, like we don't have any. Uh, well, we don't what, know that. We yeah. don't know that. It's just her wedding day. Yeah, we don't. We don't know. But like, she does use her powers. She does like create the shield to block all the arrows when they're in the sex cell. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like that does happen. It's a sex dungeon. <laughs> In the middle of the map room. It turned into a sex dungeon unintentionally. Yeah, and like she oh, uses her powers. I have to find some laughter in this book because I told you, I go, well, I need, I need laughter because what a way to start a Saturday. And then, uh, you know, something else, and I know that bothered you too, is like Reed not using his magic. Like still, still, still the entire effing book. And you're still not using your magic. And the time he does, he like knocks himself the fuck out, which yay for all of us. But at the same time, you fucking idiot. You know why? Because he refused, refused to, to learn about it. So he tried to handle magic, not knowing how to handle magic. And he knocked himself out because he completely forgot that magic just is, but you can't. You have to, you can't use it without taking from something either. Yeah, there's there's a, whole, there's a, a balance thing. It's a whole thing. How do we feel about Lou being blessed and turning into the three faced goddess? I just I don't feel like it gave us anything else because she didn't give us anything with it. Yeah, she used it as like a disguise a couple times, and then she talks about how. Um, her power. I can feel the power. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of calling to me. It just, the way she described it made it feel like it wasn't even this power, but this sixth sense. Like, you know how sometimes you and I just not even book related. I'll say like, I feel off today or something. Um, something's not vibing well. That doesn't, that's how I felt her three-faced goddess powers came across. Like, my vibes are off today. I'm feeling something. And then she keeps doing, no, please. Like, it's telling me it's okay. Like, I trust this gut instinct. It's essentially your gut instinct. That's what it felt like. I. That's why I never felt like it was this actual godlike power. It just felt like she was going with her gut. Yeah. And and I do like, again, Ilya, she's like, you know, I think my sister chose wrong. Like, there's nothing <laughs> special about you. I was just like, oh, bitch. Well, interesting that that Lou only perceived what she was saying as a, she's just trying to rile me up. Well, one, it's kind of working. But two, is she wrong? Yeah, like, is is she wrong? Is she wrong? Because even when Nicolina was, um, I was going to, she possessed her body, but then what's it called? I was going to say exercised Mm -hmm. when essentially when Nicolina was exercised from Lou's body, um, she's still Lou still has in her head little Nicolina isms that were like and it's and it kept with her. Like, what is the reason that Lou fell in love with you? You would have been better off if you switched, you know, and I get that. I mean, there's certain things that people will say to you that you'll always have on repeat in your head. Um, But Ilya saying those things out loud. So then she was just, Lou was doubting herself. Like, what is it about me? Like, tell me the truth. Like, why? And she asked Spo that too. She goes, she's, she wasn't wrong with saying that. Like, I'm not extraordinary. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not this. I'm not that. So what is it about me? She needed that external, um, you know, that, that external validation in that moment. 
Well, he said, like, she's chosen. Like, she's the chosen one that doesn't want to be chosen, chosen to die, you know. So, like, I guess you could say, like, that made her special. But, you know, she... But she ran away from that because she didn't want to be that. Obviously, she didn't want to die. But. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, and, you know, they tried to really... We, we said in Blood and Honey that we thought that Morgaine was a uh, one-dimensional villain. You know, she's just like a woman scorned, you know, on a mission, you know, da-da-da-da-da. They tried to humanize her a little bit in this book about, like, you know, when you were a baby, I was going to murder you, but you wrapped your whole hand around my finger and my heart softened and it took 16 years until my heart was, like, hard enough to, like, murder you again. And, like, trying, trying and trying and trying to make us, like, feel a little bit of something for her and lose, like, you know, you weren't... And this, this is, this is actually my point. It's like, you didn't love me. You loved the idea of me. You loved like, you know, what I could do for you. I was just like, hmm, somebody else. Does that remind you of somebody else? Read. What else? I know. I know. Talk about issues. I also really liked her call. I liked Lou calling Morgan, Morgan out on her when she was like, oh, well, Morgan was trying to say, like, I, you know, a political player. I need to play fair. Everybody's even. She goes, what was I supposed to do? Value your life more than everybody else's? And lose straight up. Yes. And I think, realistically, any, you know, we are all children of somebody. You would like to think a parental figure in your life would put and value your life as their child more than somebody else's, which, oh, now thinking through this, it's that same feeling that in Shadowhunters, where of course he's going to want his dad to put him as a priority if, as his son, not understanding why he wasn't being put as a priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, issue. Everybody's got daddy issues, right? Do, <laughs> do I have daddy issues? Like, yeah. Yes. Everybody, you know everybody's got issues. Yeah. Wood woes intervening and then falling into a chasm. <laughs> and he's just like, like, bye, I, bitches. I know. He just <laughs> peaced out for the rest of the book. Like, what? I wanted, I go. He wasn't even here that long. Yeah. That's all I got. Same thing with the wolves, though. The wolves are, like, there and out. They- <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the wolves were there and out. The mermaids were there and out. Like, the, yeah. What up, bitches? Poops. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, like, and, and and I guess the thing, that I one of the things that really does bother me, though, is that, um, you know, all of the side quests in Blood and Honey didn't really do anything because it wasn't a war. It was just a battle. And the battle ended up being girl on girl for the most part, witches fighting witches, you know, females fighting females. And then the chasseurs, you know, coming in and like not really doing much, but like not helping and like not making it that much better either. I feel like there was a part where where Reed said something along the lines, he goes, we took a step back and nobody was in the streets. I guess we we got everybody under lock under lockdown to to spare them their lives. And I go, 
That's all you did this whole time. I love that he took a step back and like you said, it won- the way the battle wound up being, that's where they were the whole time. Get in your houses, get in your house. You want to know something? That's to me, that's not value added. If I'm looking around and I myself am not in self-preservation mode of, you know, I see somebody running around. Oh, that I should, I should go ahead and hide myself. I don't, Darwin is a man. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me to get inside. I'm inside. Thanks. Someone that I did really like is I liked Pan. I like Pan being like, you know, screw you. You're going to get these sticky buns, but you're paying like triple. And, you know, I don't really like you and you need to treat her, you know, treat, treat. Uh, I think that he calls her like Lucinda. Or, uh, Lu- yeah, because of her, her, her like, like alias she yeah. gave him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't treat her like a princess. I treat her like a queen. It's like, Ugh, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. <laughs> You don't. And I feel like Pan knows that. And that's why he's like, do you triple the prices of sticky buns? Uh, just, uh. I like I like how Boo was pissed at him. <laughs> he had a, a sticky bun in his bag. And she goes, why didn't you share that? He's like, why didn't you get that? I didn't like that because it, was, cause it wasn't for you. I'm sorry. What's mine is mine. And what's yours is mine also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because she's his wife. Ah. yeah you know what that means it's also my shit (laughs) (laughs) how are you going if you know like sticky buns are my favorite thing you know this and you were never going to share it for with me i just think that's rude that's just poor that's a poor partner yeah no for real for real um, it's like if you order french fries and i said no i don't want any french fries if you don't know that you should still be offering me your fries that's probably my red flag number one. <laughs> That's so true. Um, uh, <laughs> Sam, I, I, to- I told you the story about um, the kebabs. So Sam always asks me, he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna get, you know, a kebab. Do you want a kebab? And I always say, like, no. They, like, kind of make me sick. Like, no, I don't want one. But I always do want one. So now he, <laughs> he still asks me and he still lets me say no. And then he comes home with my own kebab and he gives it to me. Like, that's <laughs> what I want. That's I remember the one time he went to the store and he, he said no snackies and he goes are you sure and he said I'm sure and then he didn't come back with any snacks and I was so mad I was so <laughs> mad I was like where where are they and he said you don't want any see he never did that again though we had the conversation and he never did that again I feel like that you know you know uh, communication, communication. <laughs> amazing amazing do you feel like there was a lot of communication in this book. <laughs> No, no. I feel like there was a lot of, and keep in mind, this is just me listening to it, so I'm not seeing it on paper. I felt like it was a lot of internal dialogue, but not exactly communication. And I mean, I guess this can go how we say when we talk about Akasif and Nesta, where I was taking it one way to be like, oh, but she had all these thoughts, to what you had to remind me is, Right, but they were all internal thoughts. So even if she was remorseful and this and that, the other thing, what was the actual dialogue and was that communicated? And I think that is reflective here. Yeah, I think so too, because there were a lot of opportunities to communicate. You know, um, everybody had to, to work through their own truth, right? At the lake, 
And, and Coco was like shell shocked and, and like Lou and Reed are like talking about like, what did you see? What did you see? Da, 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 da. And like, there isn't like a fair kind of, um, like circle there. Like people aren't like sharing. It's like, look at this is your opportunity. Like again, the opportunity is there. The environment is set. And even then people are still reluctant in sharing that honesty. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, found family, but like, is it really? I just. Trauma bond. I think yeah. it's just really like take the trauma out. Would they still be friends? No. Coco and Lou would still be friends. Coco and Lou. Yeah. Their relationship never. I never doubted their relationship. Mm-mm. Oh, how did you feel about Constantine? I like that he showed up, but I hate that he died. Yeah. Yeah, it was really it shitty. Just, I felt like I felt like there was like this whole build up for the first two books because you knew about him, you knew kind of this backstory. You find out that he ha- he kind of protected the girls Growing as they up. grew up, um, especially when Coco would come to the lake and they weren't even supposed to be friends, you know, and they just were friendly with each other and like they they had a friendship despite their own covens kind of being you know, against each other in a way. And then he goes, you know, letting you know, if you go through with this, this is at your own volition. And then he just, he's, I just, I feel like he, he's another person who could have been so much bigger. You know, I was really excited. I told you, I said, I was oh my gosh, Constantine. Oh my gosh, Constantine. <laughs> but he was immortal. But how is he not immortal? I forget, you know. It's all the other characters except Reed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What 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 else? I don't know. The one quote, I don't want to say it stands out, but it says, it doesn't end in death. It ends in hope. And all I could think of is, I hope this book is over soon. Actually, that's a good point. Uh, they talk about hope a lot. Like, hope is the... The like driving force and like hope is what fuels us and hope, you know, gets us up in the morning and hope will rewrite the world and stuff. So yeah, that, that is, that's a good quote. That's one of the themes that, you know, they're hammering in us trying to get us to like connect. I think like they're like the, the tropes are there for us to recognize and to connect with everything. It just, it doesn't connect with me, you know, and, and, and even, you know, gods and monsters, the title is said in the book. Yeah, I yeah, and I, we love that. And I, love and I that. Was, when that came up in this book, I groaned. I yeah, like, yeah. When again, everything's there on paper, and it goes back to what you said: show, don't tell. Actions speak louder than words. You know, I think of it's no secret that I've been openly and super emotional in some of our podcast episodes. And that's not because things were drilled in my head. There was a relatability there with the stories that were being shared with us. And that's just not the effort is there. But the execution, maybe not so much. And I can't say, oh, that's because like this is more of a YA audience and not an NA because the YA books that I have that I have read and we have read and discussed on the podcast, we're having very relatable experiences in every capacity, even like when I think of Legendborn, and maybe part of that was also the timing of when we read it also, that was really, you know, that's still one of my favorite reads, you know, that, that's been a standalone up until this point since it was announced that it'll finally have a second book. But at this point, like it's my favorite standalone of 2021 that I've read. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Like there are three books here to 
pull us in and like have us begging for more, right? And like at, at the end of two of these books, we were begging for it to stop, <laughs> right? Like, cause, cause after Serpent and Dove, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, like game, yep. Ga- game on, game on, yes. After Blood and Honey, you're like, Ugh. and then at this one, you're like, Ugh. and, and even, Though I had frustrations with Serpent and Dove, my frustrations came from the, the patriarchy, like the whole societal impact of that. And I was just, you know, again, ready to rage, ready to fight for the cause. You, Everybody was down. I don't even have that rage for here. They're like, I just, I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think, like, I feel like. This ending was supposed to be like sweet and happy and joyous and hopeful and like Ansel finds his peace and everybody's there and you know, but it's flat, as you said, it is just, it's just flat. And there, there's so many other books and other series that like grip you and, and the, this one just doesn't. And you know, I was looking on the, the hashtags and stuff on TikTok just to kind of see. And is anybody talking about it? I mean, there's stuff, but there isn't like, there aren't people gushing, I guess is what it is. You know, there there's like some wonderful cosplays. Oh, absolutely. The cosplayers are what make this series for me, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they, just off the top of my head, Georgia, who's Peachy Queen cosplay, and Corinne, who's Corinne Thorne. I mean, their cosplays in general, are wonderful. And their depictions of Lou are are top-notch. Yeah. And I feel like I will like this series when the fans take it and make it their own. You know how, you know, the the headcanons, the fandom needs to take over this and make it into something more than it is. Because as it is, it is not enough for me personally. Yeah. I agree. And and it's there. It's there. And I say that again. I, I know I'm bringing up Georgia, but she's been really active both on Instagram and TikTok with her reels and taking the sounds. And I I know we share them. Um, I shared them with you, Laura, where I wouldn't have thought of how things are applied. And then when she puts them together, I go, that's totally how it happened, you know, Um but like you said, I think that's such a good point because that's when when you get more into something, of course. You know, it's TikTok is the creator's Tumblr, I guess you can say, whereas Tumblr was very much two-dimensional. TikTok brings these characters to that three-dimensional that we love. Well, here here's the last thing. Do you, <laughs> you preferred just to end our experiment, you preferred oh, okay. the you preferred physical copies over the audio audio experience for this series. Mm-hmm. I, for this series, I think that's a that's a safe way to to wrap it because there because each experience is going to be different. I love, for example, from Flood and Ash with Cena narrating. Love that experience, and obviously, like. Elizabeth Evans and Julia Whalen and like in Th- Throne of Glass and Sarah's books. Like I love when the characters all come to life. Love it. But for this book, I think I would have just preferred it traditional. If if we cut out the male narrator and if the female narrator did all of it, do you think it would have made a difference? Mm, 
No, I could say no because of, but I say it strictly because of Reed. Reed was already frustrating to me in the first two books, and I had physically read the first two books. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree, and especially since this third book is so heavily in Reed's POV, uh, I don't think that would have made a difference. It's just the way that he is on the page, and no amount of talent and like voice acting can make that into something that it's not. If there was a novella, would you read? the novella of this series? It would depend on who it's focused on. If it's Bo and Coco rebuilding the kingdom, yes. If it's Reed and Lou and their 16 million children, no. I, no, I, I am, I'm so... <laughs> I'm so done with Reed. And, and, and nothing Lou can do will redeem him. So... I, 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 I just hit it on the head. She is settling for him and it She's drives settling. me insane. Like she could, and you said this earlier, like she has major bywife energy. So like oh, yeah. the, the settling that she's doing for Reed makes me dislike her because she has the potential to do whatever she wants and change the world. And she's not. And, and it's, and it's not that she's getting married because like that's fine. It's that she's marrying this guy who, when when the slate was wiped clean, she didn't know how they fell in love. This is Alina and Mal. This is Alina and Mal. This is Alina. Then that is the same. She settled every all the power. This except what like the powers are given up. They start their life with their million kids, and they just go off and like say, "See you when I see you." Yeah. This is Alina and Mal. And all their powerful friends will come and visit them in their. Yeah. 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 That's. Oh, that's what the, that's. That's what it is. Oh, that's good job. Good job. <laughs> we had to work through that. Oh, and we struggled through those three, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? <laughs> this makes so much sense now. Oh, the light bulbs have gone off. <laughs> We identified the issue. It took us, it took us this whole podcast, but we got there. We got there. That's what it is. That's what it is. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and the only, and the only difference is, as you said, Lou still has her powers. She still has her powers. She's still powerful. She's still, I guess, like the three faced goddess, but like, where is it? Give me, give, give it to me, you know, like. And that's really the only difference. She's settling with a man who, who, ugh, ugh. Yeah. There we go. Good job, Jess. <laughs> it's was teamwork. Um, thanks for listening. Feel free to follow us on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Also feel free to follow us on our Instagram. And thanks for listening. We appreciate everyone. And next week we should be having our episode kind of revolving around the world of gaming and more of a Q&A with Laura to get to know one of our hosts a little bit better. And that's something, you know, something that she loves. So thanks again for listening and feel free to write us a review wherever you may be listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.